Welcome to a cinematic Christmas. I know, I know. I have no shame, do I? Well, uh, over the course of the next five Sundays, uh, over the course of the next five Sundays, so that includes the last Sunday of the month, um, we are going to walk through a cinematic Christmas. And uh, we are going to look at some, some familiar and not necessarily familiar to everybody, um, scenes from some familiar and not so familiar Christmas movies that reveal some very hard biblical truths that we need to understand. Um, and so, uh, there you go. Uh, anyhow, um, it's a wonderful life. It's a familiar movie, uh, familiar to many of those that are probably my age and older. Um, when I was, I'm a kid of the 80s, and, and actually this movie seemed to be like on repeat every day, starting December 1 all the way through after New Year's, and I didn't know why this was on repeatedly until I realized that they, the, they didn't pay the copyright, and it lapsed, and so everybody had the right to it. Never saw the whole movie until I was an adult. And, uh, you know, the movie is a wonderful life, but the, it's a little tongue-in-cheek and ironic how it's not necessarily a wonderful life. And so I'd like for us to, hopefully this will work, Sandy, be on your guard. Uh, very brief scene, and there it is. The old familiar scene. George Bailey walking to the bridge, looking over to the icy waters. And then we have this moment of contemplation that he has, and Clarence stands nearby. Doesn't Clarence have an uncanny thing about him that he kind of looks like Grandpa? <laughs> I couldn't take my eyes off that guy. It's like, it's Grandpa. <laughs> Man, you had another life, didn't you? Oh, my goodness. George Bailey. Um, he's at a moment where his life has somewhat collapsed. And the collapse is as a result of a financial issue. And it seems to be so much so that he lashes out at family, lashes out at his kids, his wife. He runs off. He actually tells off uh, the teacher of his child. He goes off and has a fight. And at the bar, in a drunken moment before this scene, he says, I'm at the end of my rope. God, I need you to come in. Gets tossed out of the bar and crashes into a tree and ends up here. Looking over and staring into icy waters. Contemplating taking his own life. 
We need to remember that George Bailey, in the movie, that as a young man, he saved his own brother from icy waters. He jumped in without fear of his own life to save a life, his brother's life. And now his life is at collapse, and he's staring into waters, not to save, but to take. There's another scene where George Bailey finds out that Mr. Gower, in his grief at the loss of his own son, his drunken grief, mistakenly puts poison where medicine should have been put. And charged George to go and deliver that poison. Not knowing what to do, he runs to his father. His dad knows what to do. But his dad, dealing with his own financial situation, brushes George off. George returns to the pharmacy having not delivered the pills at seeing Mr. Gower on the phone, angry, dismissive, and eventually abusive to George, whacking his ear that was injured when he jumped in to save his own brother. But in this moment, George saved that person's life. He doesn't even know who they are. by not delivering the poison. And so we have George Bailey in a collapsed moment. A man who valued life is now convinced of something that is not a wonderful life. It's a terrible lie that his life is worth more dead than alive. He's convinced that everyone else's life would be better off without his. All throughout his own life, George Bailey valued life. But came to a point he didn't value his own and he became deceived and convinced of that terrible lie that his life has no value at all now whether you're somewhere on the spectrum between atheist and sanctified Christ follower you and I can just as easily become convinced just like George, that our life has no value. When you look around the world, it becomes easier and easier to believe that the world is convinced that life has no value or is trying to convince itself that there is value. There's an area of ambiguity. We have people protesting in the streets, holding up signs to convince other people that black lives matter. Right? 
We post things on Facebook to convince other people that blue lives matter. Folks, both lives matter. Right? The Venezuelan government and country have imploded. And there are people starving for food and leadership. Syrian refugees continue to live displaced lives while a dictator continues to rule and leaving the whole country in shambles. We have teachers all throughout America learning how to save students' lives for fear that someone's going to come in that has no value of life to take them. We have, non, we have bullying com- campaigns, not only in schools, but online. Folks, hundreds of thousands of babies a year are dismembered and removed from the womb. Folks, it becomes easier and easier to be convinced that life has no value. And it's easy for us to be convinced that our own life doesn't have value. It's a terrible lie. Have, have you bought in? Are you convinced that your own life has no value? You might be rounding third and approaching home thinking that your best days are behind you. You might be in the middle of grieving the loss of someone, feeling that the tunnel is endless and is just complete darkness. You might have been divorced, not once, twice, three times or more, and convinced that it was your fault and only your fault. You might be a teenager that is sitting here right now that feels like, man, I don't even belong to my own family. How can I belong to a group of friends? You may not be to the point of George Bailey looking over into icy waters contemplating that his life has no value and everyone else's life is better off without you there. You might not be to that point, but you personally might actually have very similar feelings. sitting in a crowd, isolated, and on your own. That life has no value. The fact is, folks, that you are not necessarily what the media tells you that you are, what other people tell you that you are. You are not your political party. You're not what the mainstream pseudo-tolerant society angrily tells you you ought to be. You're not the sum of your failures. You're not the sum of your successes and you're not the difference between your failures and your successes. You're not your car. You're not your bank account. You're not your house. You're not your kids. You're not your parents. 
You're not what you see in the mirror when you see the things that you don't like. You're much more than that. Folks, all of us possess value because we are created by a creative God by His own hands. Scripture tells us this. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And with His own hands, God created His man, you and I, mankind, in His image, in His likeness. In the image of God, He created man. This principle, this idea that we have intrinsic value is all throughout Scripture. In fact, David himself, contemplating this idea, said, for you, God, he's not telling us, he's talking to God himself as if God is in the room. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Folks, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your frame was not hidden from him. Folks, when he made you in the secret place, you were not hidden. When you were woven together in the depths of the earth, God's eyes saw your unformed body. God spoke to Jeremiah the prophet and said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Take that upon yourself. Before God formed you in the womb, He knew you. He knows you. The Psalter even said, Your hands made me and formed me. Folks, we are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. Whether you are, again, on the spectrum from atheist to sanctified believer in Jesus Christ, somewhere in the middle or on one end or the other, you are God's workmanship. He is all over you. All over you. For George Bailey, it wasn't a wonderful life. It was a terrible lie that he became convinced of. A terrible lie that you and I can very easily become convinced of. But in that moment, we have Clarence, Grandpa, standing by. Into the darkness, Jesus Christ came. He says this in John chapter 8, 42, having a discussion with the religious people, <laughs> no less. He said, for I came from God and am now here. In other words, out of the words of Clarence, I came from heaven. <laughs> I have not come on my own, but God sent me. Folks, you 
are why God came. We are why God came. Your family is why God came. Your coworkers, your neighbors are why God came. The protesters and protectors are why God came. Both the shooter and those hunkering down are why God came. Both the dictator and the displaced are why God came. It said, for God so loved the world, not a select few, not the ones that we get to pick and choose, not the ones that we dehumanize, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. It is there in that moment while they were there, Joseph and Mary, while they were there, Bethlehem, the manger, while they were there, the time came in the fullness of time. The time came for the baby, Jesus Christ the Messiah, the Lord, the Almighty, the baby. Innocent, vulnerable, naked, cold. And she gave birth. Screams, cries, and all. She gave birth blood, umbilical cord, and afterbirth. She gave birth. We clean it up, don't we? She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Why God so loved the world? She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Christmas asks the questions. Christmas has a because, because he will save his people from their sins, but Christmas also has a why. God is motivated by love. Love for his free will creatures. That would be you and me. Those that can make those decisions, whether to follow God or not. God was motivated by love to come into the mess, to come into the moment, to step into time. He was motivated by love. You and I are the why of Christmas. You and I are the why. Clarence. Clarence jumped into the waters because he knew George Bailey believed in the intrinsic value of a human being. He knew that George was geared to save life, not take it. Because life is valuable. 
Your life is valuable. You, you are valuable. And so, we come to this moment at the very end of the movie. Well, not the very end. I don't necessarily like when things are nice, neatly packaged, like the very end of the scene. I think this is a little bit more raw. And I think this is a lot where we are sometimes, where we need to be. Folks, when we feel hopeless, we fail to see the hope around us. Isn't that what Clarence did? Clarence essentially showed George that his, va- his life had value and there was hope that he brought value to other people's lives as well. There's the scene where George is wiping away the snow from his brother's grave and said, no, he didn't die. I saved him. No, George, you weren't there to save him. No, my brother won the Congressional Medal of Honor, saved all those, those men. No, George, he died when he fell into that lake. You weren't there to save him. Folks, when we fail, when we feel hopeless, we fail to see that hope is already around us. It's already with us. The scripture says that God is with us. God with us, Emmanuel. We sung it and we'll sing it probably three or four more times this this Christmas season. Emmanuel, God with us. Hope is with us because the hope is in Jesus Christ. He has come to walk beside us. To walk with us. He's come that He may be within us. This is why Jesus Christ came. Hope reaches out for us. Doesn't let us walk alone, but reaches out for us. So, you might be listening this morning and saying, you know what, I get it. I believe all that. The Lord God Almighty, I have hope. I know my value. I have intrinsic value just because I'm human. Because God created me. He designed me. He created me on purpose, with intention. I get that. I have, I understand that. And if that is you today, I praise God for that. But if your life has value, it therefore extends to everyone else. There may be people around you that are not as convinced. That are under the guise of the terrible lie. And therefore, you are the one who is in their life to extend that life. To show them the value that they have. Through love acted in their life. Folks, Bring them to the point of, I want to live again. 
I want to live again. They probably need you to enter into their life. So over the course of this month, people that you come eyeball to eyeball with, don't brush them off like George Bailey's dad. Look into their eyes for a moment. Pause for a moment. And enter in for the moment. Will you please stand? Can you just bow your heads? If you're struggling with the value of your life, the purpose of your life, I wasn't sure how to do this, but I'm just going to ask that um, will you please raise your hand and acknowledge that so that I can see that. Thank you. Okay. I want to assure you right now the Lord is right there with you. You may not feel Him. You may not sense Him. That's okay doesn't mean he's absent I also want you to know that you were prayed for and you will be prayed for I'll tell you right now you'll be prayed for tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock during staff meeting and you will be prayed for through this week And I want you to know that our door is always open and that we love you. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, I want you to know that there are people that raise their hands. This is Sunday morning church, right? Yes. Sometimes even the follower of Jesus Christ can be convinced that their life has no value. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We draw into you. And we ask that you speak into us the truths that are of Scripture. May they not just be knowledge. May there not be some things that we utter on a Sunday morning to make service service, but may it be something that is very real and tangible to our life and matters. You became God with us because you love us. Bottom line. And I thank you for that. 
Lord, I ask as you entered into time and into the world, will you enter our lives by your Holy Spirit and the work that you're doing in our lives and in our hearts and around us. God, will you open our eyes to that? Will you open our hearts to that? And may we recognize you and the movements that you are doing in and around us. The rooms of our lives that we have closed, that we have padlocked, Lord, we, we open them up right now and ask that you enter in. Because you will not go into places that you are not invited into. And Lord, I believe that you will do that work. That transforming, renewing, redeeming, reconciling work. That is real and that is tangible. And that will absolutely turn our lives upside down. We need it. We need you. We need your presence, oh God. So in a moment, Lord, we're going to say the final amen and we're going to get into our cars and we're going to go home. We're going to have food and we're going to watch football. We're going to take a nap. We're going to fall asleep. We're going to drool. We're going to do all those things. But may we not forget what you have done and what you are doing and may we not forget that we have invited you in to our world may we pause to watch what you're doing we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord Amen folks I want you to know we love you so does God. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you soon.